Welcome to another edition of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slowey, and today on the show, it's a little bit of a special edition today. Um, it's a real treat. I've got my uh, old campus rabbi at Chabad at UWM, uh, Mr. Rabbi uh, Thaler, uh, joining me, and um, I haven't seen him in a long time. Uh, we had a close relationship in college, and I uh, got our mitzvah with him at 21. I uh, used to go to his house for Shabbat dinners all all the time. Um, need to make it to another one soon. Um, you always invite me to them, but I never make them because I'm always busy. But uh, I'm excited to talk to you, catch up, and talk a little bit about love and fear. So Awesome. Thanks for being on the show. Great to be here. Good to see you, man. How can are we, you? Can we start off with some... The event? finest, right? The finest Kedem grape juice? Yeah. It's the, my favorite. <laughs> Every time I come here... Uh, I always walk out with a bottle of Kadem because you always have some. Okay, so now we get to make a blessing on the wine on the show. Yes, we do. We'll make it together. Yeah. And sip some kosher grape juice. Yes, phenomenal. Baruch L'chaim. yes. This is a very hard shot. Yeah. Well... Man, I haven't tasted that in a while. <laughs> it's great. Um, so, uh, how how are you? How's your day going? My day is going well. What'd you do? What did I do? Uh, preparing for the holiest day on the Jewish calendar, Yom Kippur. Yeah. Coming up tomorrow evening. Uh, 25 or 26 hours of uh, fasting, uh, where we know that we re reveal, we pull away the layers of like, everyday doing and we mm -hmm. just be we just are at our core of who we are with our relationship with God <clears throat> and that's kind of the essence of how uh, the depth of how atonement works on Yom Kippur and in Judaism mm -hmm. it's getting to a, a place or a space where it's so pure that it can't be soiled by any wrongdoings and when we reveal that connection and we kind of tap into it a little bit that helps us get back to like even everyday doing and everyday you know, activities mm -hmm. to hopefully make them a little bit better than they were in the past. Yeah, it's like a reset button of sorts, it oh, kind of sounds like. Totally, yeah. totally. Well, it's a reset uh, going back to who we really are at our core. Mm -hmm. So the word for like repentance, that big bad word repentance, the yeah. actual, the original Hebrew for that word is teshuva. And the meaning of teshuva is actually not repentance, it literally means return. Mm. So when you return, it means like, you know, yeah, I'm returning from the airport because you don't live in the airport. You live at home and you're right. returning to who you really are. Yeah. So in Judaism, this idea of fixing up our mistakes and becoming a better person in interpersonal relationships or with God or to our own expectations of ourselves even and things mm -hmm. like that, our own like self-image of who we think we could or should be, is returning to a core part of ourselves that's already always there and always pure, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Um, yeah. I think that it's it's a good way to um, yeah like kind of return to your roots and also to like take a step back from the the fast paced uh, you know uh, races of society and just you know remember where we came from you know like what you know everything that led up to this point and you know not only our own personal histories but the Jewish history the history of the world. 
Um, yeah, right. and and I think that like we get little snippets of that, like when we have our like Friday Shabbat dinners. You know, it's right. like you know the period of rest and to eat and to not work, um, which is great, um, but not nearly for as long. <laughs> and uh, so why, uh, where does the fasting sort of play into the whole uh, picture of it? Okay, uh, well I'll answer that on two levels. Um, first of all, on the, on the very like surface or basic level, uh, when the Torah speaks about uh, the day of Yom Kippur, mm -hmm. it speaks about the, the translation would be, you know, afflicting our souls. Yeah. Um, and so kind of like withholding, abstaining from certain things. And that's taken and understood to mean abstaining from several things, uh, including fasting. So we're abstaining from food and drink, uh, rubbing ourselves in like lotions and ointments, uh, not wearing leather shoes, um, not having marital relations, not being intimate. Um, so there's a, there's a list of things that we don't do um, and so that's the basic idea of why, where the fasting comes from. Are you allowed to drink water? We're not meant to drink water. In extreme circumstances, certainly anytime there's a life and death question, so that gets suspended. Um, and, but even in like, you know, not necessarily life and death, but like very, you know, desperate medical attention is needed, then you can, in consultation, there's dispensations if someone really needs it. Usually it'll be like, okay, have, you know, less than X amount at a time, yeah. only as needed kind of thing. Um, yeah. Only to keep, keep you with us here. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the Torah was given to help us preserve our lives, even physically, and then, of course, also our, our spiritual connection to, mm -hmm. and, and to, to, yeah, so Torah shouldn't be uh, <clears throat> a vehicle for us uh, having the opposite of life-sustaining. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Then it's like, okay, what's this here for? But <laughs> right. there, there is obviously the exception yeah. of the famous cardinal principles in the Torah where we are meant to lay down our lives um, for, like if someone says, you know, eat the pork or I'll, or I'll kill you, then, you, then you, you, you're allowed, even according to the law, you're allowed to uh, eat the pork. But there's three big no-nos where it says, you know, here you're actually required by Jewish law to lay down your life. But on average though, on average though, you're meant to, uh, to violate the law to sustain the life. Mm. Okay, yeah, sure. I that was actually always kind of a <clears throat> something I pondered. Is it's like if it's like a for a uh, if it's for a survival instinct, like is violation of like pork or um, in this case a holy holiday that's meant to fast. Like I've always kind of wondered, like you know, like in those extenuating yeah. circumstances. Yeah, like, you know, already from your days coming here in college and stuff, I. There's always the basic layer of things, and then having like some deeper meaning to it. So that, that was like the kind of the basic oh, right. yeah. Yeah. source of where we know that we're supposed to be fasting. But I want to give a little bit of historical context, real briefly, and then also some deeper layer to the fasting. So Yom Kippur is the day. Yom Kippur is kind of like the celebration where, let's say, if you're going to compare and contrast to Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, which is ten days before Yom Kippur, is like we're marking our our beginning. We're renewing our our very existence or you know mm -hmm. and Yom Kippur comes on the heels of that and Yom Kippur says that even in a situation where okay you you have your you exist you're here uh, but now you have a mandate in being here you have a, a purpose why you were put here and here's some guidelines or whatever so what happens when you just get this guideline and here's your mandate for living and here's your purpose and you go and mess that up mm -hmm. and that's what the Jews did in a very serious way because they're like God 
you're cool, but we don't know what's going on with you. Moses is on top of the mountain. We don't know. We're going to make a golden calf. We're okay. God's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I just took you out of Egypt. Remember, kid? Remember where I, I took you out, man? Yeah. So it's a very, very serious uh, mess up. And Yom Kippur is the culmination of a lot of prayer by Moses. And God is not very happy about that. And God's like, you're messing up so soon after you're getting this mandate. And so Yom Kippur, the message, one of the, like, the loud and clear message of Yom Kippur is um, that there is always that chord that I was speaking about earlier that is never um, blemished. It's never, um, it's always remains pure. And so we kind of reveal that even after you, you know, think of even like a relationship with a close friend or a spouse, uh, when you try to like get to a deeper place where the bond still is so strong that you can repair even the damage done by going to that deeper core. And so that's what Yom Kippur is all about. And so the, the, the fasting of Yom Kippur ties into that in the sense that uh, we get this pure slate. We get this pure, clean uh, record right now because we're revealing this place which is so pure that we're kind of like the angels. We don't need to eat. Oh. So there's... Oh, wow. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So now, you are meant to eat you know, beforehand so that you survive and, yeah, right. <laughs> and you're okay <laughs> on the fast. But sure. like, there's other fast days on the Jewish calendar, but all the other fast days ha are in the category of commemorating something terrible that happened to the Jewish people on a kind of national level. Mm -hmm. So destruction of a temple, many Jews being exiled or killed, or something to that effect relating to that. And so those are sad fast days. Yom Kippur is actually, there's like a seriousness to it and an earnestness to it, but there's also a, a joy where it's like, yeah, God is, is telling me that no matter what happens, I can reconnect and, I, mm -hmm. and I'm not eating, not out of sadness, but out of like, you know, it's so pure. So. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like how people can uh, cry tears of joy. They can cry when they're uh, when they are hit with profound emotional response to something, not necessarily sadness. Mm -hmm. And it's yeah. like it's kind of like a similar mechanism where it's like I'm doing this because it's like you know I'm so proud and happy and I'm pure that I can that I'm that I can do this by. You know, by like I can do this out of my own will rather than it's because like I'm forced to or I'm remember. I feel like I have to endure this right. because like you right. know my my people went through this. The classic stereotype. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so how yeah? So are you like uh, doing like an event here for? Yeah. It? Yeah. So we offer. And you're invited as well, as Sweet. always. Nice. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but here, here's the catch. So like Anyam Kipper. You know, and you know that whenever you come to Chabad, there's always a delicious home-cooked meal by Very Dubby. Much, yes. Shout out to Dubby. Uh, I miss Dubby. Uh, I, I, will I get to see her, like, while I'm here at all? Or? Ooh, I have to see when she'll be back. Sure, sure. Back. Okay, well, I, if I don't see you, Dubby, I miss you. I want to come over sometime to have dinner. Yes. Yeah, so the thing is, is that Yom Kippur, you know, we'd be out of business if, if Chabad was known to be offering Yom Kippur lunch, right? <laughs> That's right. But here's the good part about it. The good part about it is that we offer a pre-fast meal. Mm -hmm. It's tomorrow starting at 5 p.m. The fast in Milwaukee starts at 6.03 p.m. Oh. So there's food here at 5 p.m. And then we clear the food and we move on to the Kol Nidre service, the opening service of Yom Kippur. Um, and I'll, I'll uh, Dubby's brother will actually, we're flying him in town to, to be the cantor to lead the services. Oh, cool. Well, I'll be explaining what's going on in English and what page we're up to and the meaning behind different prayers mm -hmm. and stuff. So that's tomorrow night at the beginning of Yom Kippur. And then we're also going to offer here 
the Ni'ilah service, which is the culmination, the end of the fast, the last prayer. Uh, and that's going to be, at, I think, 5.45 p.m. on on Wednesday, followed by a breakfast meal. Ah, so there's always right. food. Yeah. <laughs> always food yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you come, uh, you're welcome to join, or anyone's you know, welcome to join. Check that out. That's uh, 5 p.m. for the meal, followed by service tomorrow, and 5.45 on Wednesday, service at the end of the fast when everyone's grumpy and grouchy because they're really hungry. Right. Followed by the joy of the locks. Yeah, yes, the yeah. locks and bagels. And oh, it's the best, best way to do it. Locks and bagels. Um, yeah, how was uh, how was your uh, Rosh Hashanah? Rosh Hashanah was awesome. Great. Uh, we we saw some new and returning students. Mm. You know, uh, I used to say, it's like, I kind of de- used to default to say new and old students. It was like, what does that mean, old students? Yeah. Like, all students are, first of all, young yeah. in mm-hmm. relation to like the general population. Mm-hmm. But that does, just doesn't even sound good. Like, you're, you're an old student. I, I think <laughs> I, it's like they, they have tenure here, you know, like they, they, they know how things go. But, yeah, but anyway, I, I kind of just started adopting new and returning students. Return it, yeah. Return. I'm talking even about students that are like juniors or seniors. They're not like post-college and yeah. they still come around. They're coming around and they're in college, but I don't like, I try not to, you know, old students. Old. Yeah, right, right. So new and returning students. So we saw some new faces, some returning faces. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, we had some pretty n- nice meals together, some chauffeur blowings, nice. uh, services. Um this, I didn't offer separate services here, but at the Lubavitch house down the block, the headquarters there where we did your bar mitzvah ceremony, I'm actually the chazan, the cantor, for mm-hmm. most of the daytime prayers there during Rosh Hashanah. Sure. And uh, the services that we're not offering here on Yom Kippur during the day of Wednesday, I'll actually also be leading over there. Oh, wow. Um, and students are also welcome to join there in Chabad. You know, there's no tickets required, no membership required, so yeah. anyone's welcome to join and I will be leading some of those services. Uh, I would say probably from about 12 or so till about 2.30, I'll be leading the services <clears throat> at Lubavitch House at the corner. So. Oh, that's going to be a... So you're going to be singing for two and a half hours? Yeah. <laughs> well, singing and yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I yeah I did actually uh, celebrate uh, Shema Toba. Um, I was with Nicole and uh, Emily Acker actually on Friday. We went to uh, our friend Ari's house uh, in River West, and yes. Nicole is Nicole Gorlick. Gorlick, okay. yes, yeah. yeah. Shout out to both of you. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. It was good to see her because I haven't seen her in a long time. She um, came around here also uh, for some of the meals in Rosh Hashanah. Oh, dope! Yep. Together with Brian. BG good. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. We had wine. We had some bread, some uh, some apples. Um, it was like the first like Jewish observance I feel like I've done in a while. But it was uh, since the last time we were yeah, b- basically since the last time I was here. The, like the last time I had this stuff was the last time I was here. <laughs> but but it is like a good um, kind of like everything that you're attesting to um, with like talking about like the, the purpose of Yom Kippur, what it, what it represents, is like, it's a feeling I seem to uh, be reunited with whenever I come here, or whenever I come to Hillel, like, is sort of like that, it's just a re, it's a reconnection with, you know, the community, with, um, with my, uh, with kind of my, um, travels through like everything how much I learned about myself through being involved in like Jewish student life and how much I learned like reading Torah with you like in this exact couch actually 
at, uh, I believe it was 10 a.m. on Tuesdays. Wow. <laughs> I think back then there were old black couches that faded away. Oh, right, away yeah. yeah. May have been different couches. But sure, but it was in this people. room, yes. Same people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, I remember, like, it's it was just, like, uh, just a huge... Uh, it was just a, something I devoted a lot of time to, you know, for a part of my life. And, um, and it's great to kind of like get, uh, re-immersed in it, kind of like see, not only see how everyone's doing and say hi and, you know, like, uh, it's, it's a great, but it's, it, there's a great communal aspect to that, but it's also for the self is a really like beautiful way to like remind myself like, Hey, you know, I'm Jewish and I'm a, and, uh, you know, this is, this is my culture. These are our observances. These are my people. And it's like, no matter how far I go with the things I'm doing or how far detached I may feel like there's always like a homecoming. And that's, and that's something like a lot of us, I think in general, like we don't make enough time for. So, uh, so it is really, really always like a really great pleasure to return to the core of, of, being Jewish, being proud to be Jewish, and to learn more about being Jewish, because... I gotta say L'chaim to that. I can't <laughs> yeah. say it better. Mm. Thanks. I mean, it's like you're a rabbi, but it's like you're still like a student to to Judaism, like, of sorts. Like, you're still... Oh, totally. You're still learning every single day uh, about, you know, what what that means, and what, what not only what it means for you, but what it means for history, what it means for the world, what it's gonna mean for the future. Like... It's um, it's a timeless science. Totally, totally. It's endless and timeless, and um, yeah, it's got so much more relevance. I feel like than people uh, think it, you know, think it has. And then I feel like there's so many students that over the years of us being here in Milwaukee, just I feel like so much of what we do is kind of breaking down stereotypes of, and perceptions. Yeah. Uh, and then once that's initially broken, one or two Shabbat meals or just like a little meeting or maybe <clears> starting with like a rapping rabbi or something like that, uh, and then it's like, oh, I love this. Like, this oh, yeah. is, you know, welcoming, this is meeting. It's, cool. it's okay, I'm not complaining about it. I've come, kind of come to terms with like, this is what it is, you know, I know how I look. With yeah. the with the kippa and the tzitzit and the beard and I mean now you're kind of competing. Yeah, with now me. I am a. a, a I don't know. This I'm is a, new. It's new to me. Yeah, <laughs> but do, do people run away from you? Like they run away from me? No, I, I'm drawing people in actually. Yeah, quite the opposite. I've been getting compliments. I love it. I definitely <laughs> thank love you. It. I appreciate it. But, I definitely love it. But no, you're right. Like there's sort of like that stereotypical like what a rabbi and his house looks like and like what he's there to talk about, but. But, you know, you're a pretty cool hip dude, you know, it's like... Right, I, and I appreciate that, but we try hard to, to make it welcoming, but I, I'm not, again, it's not a complaint and it's not even a blame game, it's just the way reality is, and so yeah. that's a big part of it, is just getting a friend to bring a friend or getting someone comfortable to, to check out the setting, yeah. and I feel like once they're in the setting, they're like, okay, yeah, that's totally cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. Especially because um, it's like, you know, anyone is allowed to connect with their Judaism. Nothing is going to stop someone from doing that. And like, that's a, I think that's a really like core tenant of like what, you know, your mission is, what like Jewish student life like is that anyone should be able to be welcome to feel Jewish and to connect with that part of themselves at any time. Right. I mean, we can always agree, uh, we as in me and you, but I mean anyone that comes around, we can always agree to disagree on any given topic. So like, you know, Sunday scholars, those discussions we've had or anything yeah. else around the Shabbat table or whatever it is, 
we can agree to disagree about anything, but it's always within the context of of a place that's welcoming and that yeah. you can say your opinion, someone else can say theirs, and then but we all walk out after a nice Shabbat dinner or whatever right. it is. Um, and also a thing that I learned from the Rebbe, the Rebbe wrote about this himself clearly to certain people uh, that he wrote to, um, that he that he'd prefer to find areas of, of common ground and expand the area of, of agreement rather than focusing too much on the areas of disagreement. Yeah. So not to ignore the disagreements and not to shy away. I mean, the Rebbe knew how to state his opinion very unequivocally in something that he felt was important or truthful or whatever. Mm -hmm. But then at a certain point to be like, okay, I see that we disagree, but how about, you know, this, you know, yeah. let's focus on that and expand. Yeah. And that's kind of like something I've found resonates most uh, like with me, um, as a, like, I'm a very like curious person. I'm curious about a lot of things. And like, I don't like it when I have questions that are unanswered. And like, one thing that resonates so much about our faith is how like we're encouraged to ask those questions. You know, we're encouraged to like wonder and be like, well, what did he mean by this? Or what did it, what did, how do you, how are we interpreting this or like how are you interpreting this like how like we're, we're we like to dissect things um, we, we can like definitely um like look at how time and society and civilization was so different back you know back 2000 years ago like and beyond like how different society looked when you know we were given the torah but there's still a lot that is still reflective uh, of what you know might have been what around what was around there back then. Like sure, like technology and people and laws and and uh, you know our understandings of like social constructs and stuff like that. Right. Like a lot of that is has evolved, but there's still stuff that can still be relevant in like when it comes to like morals and ethics and right. and uh, what just making sense out of just, you know, this, this life. And, uh, I think that it's cool to see how much that transcends. Oh yeah. And we're still questioning. We're still asking questions to this day. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's actually cool because, uh, everything in Judaism has like a significant, everything has a significance and a meaning. So with what you were just saying, you reminded me about this beautiful insight about, um, fish. Hmm. So in the laws of how, uh, the Torah determines uh, which fish are kosher and which are not kosher. Mm. The law is, is that the fish have to have fins and scales. Okay. And so, I mean, there's all kinds of discussions about certain fish. Like, do they, you know, do they have certain uh, fish kind of, they retain or they have their scales only in the water and then they kind of shed them afterwards or other kinds of fish. There, there's debate, you know, is, are those considered scales or not? But generally speaking, those are like the, the guidelines for kosher fish. Mm -hmm. And one of the deeper messages of what that represents is, is that uh, scales are like an extra protective layer around the fish. Mm -hmm. And fins is how the fish progresses, moves forward in the water. Yeah, right. And so that combination of, of being a Jew and you know, navigating the vast seas, navigating the world around us, and remembering how to keep you know our heritage sacred and holy and having that scales that extra thick skin to be like this is who I am I'm proud of who I am and I'm going to protect it and cherish it mm -hmm. and then I have to have my fins to uh, how to to know how to apply those principles and how to apply those timeless truths to the world as it is today and that's how I can move forward in life around me in the world around me and that's what makes it a kosher fish that's, that's what, pretty cool 
Yeah. I, I had no idea that that was like the the discrepancy in like the kosher fish. Well, there's always like the law part of things, the legal part of things, and then there's like the deeper dimension of what that yeah. represents, yeah. and that applies, you know, pretty much everywhere. The philosophical edge of like why something is a law, yeah, yeah. definitely. That, I mean, that makes sense. It's wild, like it's wild because like I met you, I came here first when like you know I had to have only been like three weeks into college. Was it that thing your freshman year? Or? Yeah, freshman year. Um, I was 18. I'm now 23, going to be 24 in three months. And uh, I haven't gotten any older. Yeah, no, no, no. You're <laughs> you're, you're ageless. Um, but it's it's like really like wild how like um, it just it doesn't if like it still feels like I'm still. Every time I come in here, it feels like I'm still, like, a student and I'm still learning, which I am. I'm just not, you know, a college student anymore. Um, but I'm, but coming into Chabad is still, like, kind of what we were saying earlier about always being a student to, of life through Judaism and, and our Jewish uh, principle. It's like I come in here and I'm still a student in that regard. Totally. Because I, I, I include myself in that. Yeah. In fact, there's different titles or you know bestowed on like great scholarly sages or rabbis yeah. and one of them is Tamid Chacham and literally translated mean that means a student of a wise person mm. so that means even someone who is in their own right you know called oh this is a scholarly rabbi he's referred to as a student of a, of a scholar mm -hmm. um, and then there's also verses that speak about all of us being students of God studying the divine wisdom yeah. of the Torah and if God is infinite and endless, so there's infinite wisdom to keep on studying. So yeah. we're in that same boat together. Yes, yes. We did it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and like, uh, and the, the crazy thing was, is like how as I explored Judaism through college, like, um, you know, whether it was like being an A-Pi in the fraternity, you know, going to Hillel, you know, like, uh, and, like or coming here, obviously, it's like, um or going to Israel and learning even more about myself. Like, um, it, I had, like, I didn't have the intention, you know, like becoming a bar mitzvah when I first came to college, when I first came here, like that was not a goal of mine. That wasn't, and even like, it's like when I was doing, um, like uh, Sinai scholars with you when I was taking your class, like we would meet weekly and we would have discussions about the Ten Commandments and whatnot, and like you know, just exploring so much like uh, of you know the Jewish community. It's like that. That was still like, you know, it was still. It didn't even occur to me that like the bar mitzvah could be uh, an, an accomplished, realized uh, goal that I could achieve and. It wasn't until like, you know, that that summer before, like that summer of 2016, when it was like an epiphany. Yeah, and then I we sat down, we talked about it. You uh, explained what it would look like if this is something I'd want to set my mind to, and we did it. And it was a great time. Uh, it was a great time not only for like you know the the reception and like the party and like, bring all my friends. Like that was a great time too, but. It was also just a very immersive experience of finally, like, actually reading, like, Jewish text for the first time ever, and for, like, actually, like, exploring, like, what, you know, 
you know, like just kind of what this all means. Like everything you're saying at the, like the dinner table at Shabbat and like bringing your own insights about like Moses and about, you know, uh, God, you know, bringing the Jews out of Egypt or this or that, like actually getting to read it and like understand like sort of what, you know, to, to put it bluntly, like what you're talking about the whole time, like actually like it, it was, it was just something that was very foreign to me uh, up to that point. Cause like, you know, I'd never had like a formal like Jewish uh, education growing up. Right. Like, I mean, I went to like the JCC for like summer camps and stuff like that, but like I never like actually had like, you know, Hebrew school or, you know, like any experience of like reading and understanding and interpreting Jewish text. So like right. that was, it, it, but like I got that from that insight um, and that wonder that I like that um, curiosity. The, yeah, that curiosity that just coursed through me once I was coming here more and more, getting more and more like uh, you know philosophy and um, and and interpretation. It was a real odyssey, you know, like definitely like in in all that time. You know everything. Like I learned about not only myself, but uh, you know, just like what it truly means to like be a Jewish person and how we are like all one people, no matter where we are. Yeah, I'm very happy to be have been part of uh, that journey. And mm -hmm. as long as you're in Milwaukee, I hope to continue to be part of your journey. Yes, <laughs> I mean I'm I'm uh, still around. Um, I'm just yeah. I'm, very, good very, things. very, very busy. Yeah, um, but in, even the Shabbaton that we went on, oh, yeah. uh, and the in New York, that was an amazing time. What year did you, was that? That was twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen, you joined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow, that was, a, and it's, that's another thing. Like that was something like I didn't have any intention to do. Like when I first came to college, when I was still very ignorant about, you know, cool things you can do when you're Jewish and going to New York it was my first time in New York. Oh yeah, and yeah, I've oh, never wow. been in New York. Um, That's cool. So, yeah, I guess, like, so when did you come, so you were, you're originally from L.A. Correct. Right? Yeah. Um, where did you, like, I guess, like, like, how did, like, as you grew up, like, uh, like, where did you find yourself, like, living and traveling to? Like, I guess, like, where were all the places that you that led, were settling in? Yeah. That, that led to Milwaukee? Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so, well, I grew up in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. uh, I grew up there because in the world of Chabad that I grew up in, um, people would, you know, would go to different, like, posts, so to speak, to set up shop, uh, and just help, you know, kind of spread the message, and, 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 you know, I grew up in a predominantly, you know, very Jewish, you know, religious Jewish area, because my parents, uh, are both educators within the Chabad community, so my dad's a principal in the, uh, Chabad Boys High School, my mom is a elementary school teacher in a, in a Chabad-run um, girls elementary school mm. out in L.A. So I grew up there, um, so kind of a little bit different in the sense that it wasn't, uh, it wasn't primarily work with people who are coming from background different than us. Mm -hmm. You know, I grew up in a religious uh, setting and community and everything like that. But in general, in the Chabad world, we're brought up with that general mindset that um, kind of to serve, to be there for others yeah. as much as possible, and that's an aspiration that I was that I kind of grew up with. Where like I, I don't, I can't remember exactly at what age it was, but I was like I made this kind of decision, 
it was sometime in you know my in my teens, earlier or later teens, where it's like, you know, I want to open up what well, what's become now like known all over the world as a Chabad house, a center where, where as we said before, just all Jews of all stripes and types of all you know feel welcome to join, um, and and grow at their own pace, learn at their own pace, participate at their own pace, uh, and just be proud, comfortable Jews, you know. Um, leaving you know a little bit or a lot more you know knowledgeable than they were beforehand uh that that's that's the goal kind of spread that all around and um to that end after i got engaged to dubby i don't remember i think it was during the engagement period when we were engaged uh dubby has an aunt and uncle who are part of the chabad network up in mequon mm, yeah. and so they were the ones that first gave us this idea like hey i know that the people that run Chabad in, in Milwaukee, um, actually they're the same family that are, uh, you know, in charge of uh, Chabad of the whole of Wisconsin, the Schmutkin family, Rabbi Schmutkin Sr., yeah. who I think you met yeah. uh, at your bar mitzvah in Lubavitch house, house there, mm -hmm. said, I think they're looking for a couple to run the Chabad for the UWM campus, and that includes, you know, includes Marquette and the other yeah. campuses in the, other, in the area, uh, and that's what got this going. Mm. Uh, so really it's all in... Uh, you know, due to Dubby's family connection, nice. that we were introduced to that family. Then we had some meetings and some interviews to see if we, if all around, it was a mutual good fit. So this is the first ever Milwaukee Chabad house, like for students. Uh, yes and no. So uh, the brief history of it, from what I've heard from well before I, we moved here, was that actually uh, Rabbi Schmutkin, who moved here in the late sixties. Uh, soon after he moved here, got Lubavitch House on this corner, which at that time was considered like almost like radical. It was so out of the box because the vast majority of the Jewish establishment was what we can what we call today the West Side. Um, that's where many of the more traditional Jews they weren't necessarily that observant fully or whatever, but the more traditional Jews who identified as Jews were living there. And this area and what's you know the North, you know Fox Point. Uh, Bayside, River Hills, Glendale, yeah. all that, Mequon for sure. That was like, oh, if there's Jews there, they're like the totally assimilated Jews. They're not even, you know, interested. They're, they're happy to be assimilated kind of things. Like, mm -hmm. who who's going to go work with them? And Rabbi Schmutkin was like, you know, this is the whole mandate from the Rebbe. Like, well, you know, that's exactly where I've got to be. And so he made this purchase. Again, it's kind of hard to imagine this now because, I mean, I've heard, um, you may have heard this, hear the same thing. Like, even from... Jewish students who will tell me that they're hearing from their non-Jewish friends. You see, you know, religious, like, this like a miniature Brooklyn right here. Yeah. In this, in these few blocks. Yeah. But yeah. this was nothing like this even 10 or 15 years ago, certainly not 30 or 40 years ago. Right. And so he was a trailblazer in that way back then. And from what I've heard from him and from others, back at that time, part of his bread and butter of who he was interacting with was college students. And some of the early people, some of the early Jewish you know, people that got involved with Chabad of Wisconsin back in the day were college students. Um, but at the same time, it kind of evolved to become more of a community thing and there wasn't any more, uh, it, it wasn't a Chabad center that was, you know, exclusively for the college students. And that's kind of what, what they felt was missing and that's what we brought to the table because we live within a few blocks of several other religious Chabad families, but they're all doing different yeah. jobs in, in, the, in the larger Chabad network of Wisconsin, Milwaukee, mm -hmm. whatever it is, and we're here exclusively for the for the students. So we interact yeah. with the community. We're happy to, you know, like I said before, I lead the services in the community synagogue there for yeah. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. I, I pray there every day, every right. Shabbat. 
Um, but our work here, then we moved here not to be close to that synagogue. We moved here because this is where the college is. Right there, yeah. 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 Awesome. Yeah, I mean, um, well, I could say that uh, you um, definitely, like, uh, on your behalf, exactly what you were saying about, like, being raised in a setting where you were, like, uh, to where you were meant to give and serve and make others feel welcome in, in, in doing that. Like, I mean, I, I could, I would definitely say you did that for me. So, <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, uh, I guess we can, uh, wrap some tefillin. Wrap some tefillin. That might be a new one for some viewers. Yeah. I've, this has never been done on camera. Viewer discretion advised. <laughs> so these are tefillin and it's something that Jewish men are instructed to do. And it's got, Verses of the Bible, core Jewish belief, written on parchment inside the box. Right. And we place it in the bicep area. The hand one goes facing the heart. And we make a special blessing. And what Ben just said was basically the blessing we make over any, before we perform any uh, instruction from God, any divine commandment, basically saying that this is how God sanctified us to do the commandment of tefillin. If it would be, you know, Sukkot and we were shaking the lulav, we'd make the same text and then end off to do the commandment of shaking the lulav, or something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. And so the head tefillin has the same scrolls, but in four separate parchments. And in the hand tefillin, it's all four sections of the Torah in one parchment in one box. And then we say the Shema together, the core of faith in one God. Shema, Shema Israel, Eloheinu, Adonai, Adonai, Eloheinu, Adonai, Adonai, Echad. Echad. Baruch Shem, Baruch Shem, Kivod, Kivod, Machuto, Machuto, Leolam Vaed. Vaed. Awesome. We did it. <laughs> so, and so, oops. Oh. So everything is uh, about action in Judaism. There's a big emphasis on action. And so putting it on your arm, because we do things with our hands, but it faces the heart, our emotions. You put it on your head, which is our mind, so that we're kind of binding ourselves uh, physically uh, with our actions and our feelings and our mind to dedicate, our, to dedicate ourselves to, to God, to our divine mission, you know. Awesome. All right, Rabbi. Um, thank you for uh, sitting and talking to me about... Uh about Judaism. Everything good. Everything good. All things good. Uh, and for Rabbi Tefillin, uh, the Kadem, thank you for the Kadem. Very delicious. Um, so, I uh, ask every guest on the show at the end, uh, tell me what keeps you up at night. What keeps me up at night is usually my children. The children, right? I've got five of them, thank God. Thank God, uh, yes. Actually, I, I do have to say that we, W and I have a pretty good system down pat for the most part. Most of them sleep through the night pretty well. Mm -hmm. But they'll come in once in a while, so that's what keeps me up at night. But honestly, in terms of my mission here and stuff, like, yeah, the, the love and fear aspect, which is what your show is all about, uh, that's, that's an underlying motivator of, like, of the fear of losing a Jew, a Jew feeling, like, left out or that they're not, you know, they're not good enough to be part of the community kind of thing, just, yeah. you know. And for the vast majority of Jews, they don't even know better, so there's no blame game, it's no finger pointing, and the love of wanting to include all Jews and make them feel welcome. 
So that sometimes keeps us up at night. It definitely yeah. keeps us up at, by the daytime. Yes, it does, right. <laughs> at nighttime, too. So uh, what puts you to sleep, though? What puts me to sleep is uh, being pretty tired after yeah. a long day of work. Yeah. You're, doing a, you're, you're using a lot of uh, mind power uh, with all of this... Uh, you know, with all the studying, with all the praying, with, you know, every, all the work that you're doing, all the wonderful work that you're doing for people to, for Jews to feel like they have a home away from a home. Uh, it's all great stuff. Yeah. I'm, well, I appreciate you coming up and it's, oh, it's great. It's great to good, see you. Yes. So thank you again. And a uh, happy, healthy new year. Cause it's the new year season. So yes. all your viewers should have an awesome, happy, healthy new year with everything good. Yes. Happy, happy new year. L'chaim. L'chaim. <laughs> Thank you for watching, Mr. Nice Guy, and we will see you next time. Oh.